I just want to take a little while today and go to the Word of God and just really share some truths about why Jesus came and did what he did. You know, it's amazing. The Bible says that Jesus, the creator of the universe, took upon himself the form of man. He, he literally ceased hold and became a man. So as he lived on this earth, he lived, he put aside his godly attributes and he lived on this earth as a man anointed by God. Although he was still all God and all man, one of a kind, he lived on this earth as a man. He had to do that so that legally he could be the Lamb of God. He could be the sinless sin sacrifice. It would take a sinless sin sacrifice to redeem us. All through the Old Testament, it all pointed to Jesus. They did, I mean, all of these sacrifices. The blood flowed all the time. The blood of animals that they would, they would slay and offer. And what the, it says in the Bible that the blood of animals would literally cover man's sins for a season. But Jesus' blood did not cover our sins. The Bible says the blood of Jesus was shed and it washed them away. It eradicated them. You'll never have to stand. If, if you have been born again, if you've literally by faith received that sacrifice and bowed to the lordship of Jesus Christ and, and invited his lordship into your life, do you know when you stand before a holy God, you will have no sense of guilt or shame. You'll have no sense that sin has ever existed in your life. Why? Because he took care of it. Jesus took your place. It's amazing. So why did Jesus come? He came because of his great love for you, God's great love for you. He knew that we were lost. He knew that nothing we can do in our own strength could ever redeem us out of spiritual death. So he had to come take our place. Isn't that amazing? This is what's really cool about being a Christian. We don't live to work for salvation. You can't work for it, right? It's, it's a gift. Now, what's really cool is your behavior and your works will flow out of the salvation that you've already been given, but you're never saved by works. So let's look at this a little bit. In Psalms, in the book of Psalms in chapter 139, in verse 17 and 18, I love what it says. And this is all under the context that you need to realize. See, I would define religion like this. I re well, I remember years ago, I was, I, was asked, I was on staff in a church, and the pastor asked me to go to this high school uh, in Iowa because they were going to have a panel of religions. And so the, the students were going to be able to ask us questions. And so I was there, you know, there was a, a professor in the college who was a, a Jew who represented Judaism. There was uh, a Muslim, there was a Hindu, uh, they had a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, a Catholic priest, a couple denominational pastors and me. And so, oh, and I think there was also another lady who was a Buddhist and who taught that. So, so we, had, we had all these religions up in front and so the, the, the students would ask questions, you know, and I'm sitting there and, and finally it was amazing because all these people were trying to be cordial. And so, you know, like they'd ask the, the Baptist pastor or the, the pastor of the Christian church, you know, after, you know, like the Hindu lady explained everything about Hinduism or at least answered some questions and, and everything. And, and, uh, they would all go, well, you know, we're very similar uh, in this. And, and, and I was sitting there listening to all this nonsense. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, the, the pastor sent me here probably to make a great representation of the church, but I was getting stirred. I'm like, are you kidding me? So this, this one, I, I'll never forget it, this young girl, she goes, um, I want to ask Pastor Tony. 
She goes, why are you a Christian? And uh, the minute she said that, the first thing out of my mouth was, you know, have you ever said something and you're just going, oh man, I can't believe I'm even saying this. (laughs) So the first thing out of my mouth was, you know, first of all, I need to apologize to all you students because this is a panel of religions, but I could tell you this, that Christianity is not a religion. And so it immediately got everybody's attention. And I could feel the looks that were coming from the side of me, on both sides of me, you know. And, uh, and I said, I go, religion is defined as I have to try to do good or be good and, and, and do all these things to be accepted by God. But I go, but Christianity is completely opposite. You know, and I said, and, and, and I know all of uh, these people up here, they all seem like just great people. But I've got to tell you, I want to make sure all of you students know that Christianity is nothing like Hinduism. Christianity is not there's a million ways to God. There's only one way. And through Jesus Christ. We're nothing like the Buddhist. Right? And I said, and I said, you know, uh, we're nothing like the Mormons. Judaism calls Abraham their father. It's the same God, but God is my father. It's relationship. And so I could feel this. Which, you know, you could imagine a bunch of high school students are like, yeah, you know, I mean, they were like real excited. So they started asking me questions about that. But I want you to know today, we're not talking about a religion here. We are talking about a loving and holy God who created man to fellowship with him and to know him intimately. And then man chose In the Garden of Eden, Adam chose to go a different way. And he violated. See, what sin is, it means to miss the mark. That's what that word means. Well, what's the mark? God is the mark. He is life. So when they chose to do something that God told them not to do, by their own will, they died spiritually that day and were separated from God. God told them, you could eat of everything in this garden, but don't eat of the knowledge of of good and evil. Because in the day that you eat that one, in the ancient Hebrew language, it says, in dying, you shall die. So they instantly died spiritually. They were now separated from God. Now, Adam was so perfect, it took over 900 years for spiritual death to kill his body. We still can't figure out why man's body doesn't live forever. It's like we get to a certain age and this cycle of rest regeneration in our body just starts degenerating. Well, it's very simple. It's sin. The wages of sin is death. So when you get saved, man, my spirit gets, I'm, my, my, I'm given a brand new spirit. It's eternal. But my flesh, I don't have my glorified body yet. The Bible says we have like the first fruits of our salvation. When Jesus comes back, we'll get a glorified body that will live forever. You know you're eternal because think about it. I don't care how old you are here today. You you just, you can't see yourself dying. And I know as I stand here, I still think I'm about 28 years old. If I get on a basketball court, I know I'm not 28 years old anymore, right? You know, but it's just, you just don't. Sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and go, yeah, that's not, that's not me. It's because I'm eternal. But the Bible talks about that God saw man now that was separated from him. And it says that God loved man so much, he had a plan in place to redeem man. Now, what does it mean to be redeemed? It means that man would be bought out of spiritual death, out of the kingdom of Satan. Yes, Satan's real. For some reason in the modern church, we don't want to talk about it. Satan, hell, 
Don't talk about that stuff. But hell is a real place. Hell was never made for man. God doesn't even send men to hell. They go there by their choice. But God is going to do everything he can to woo you with his love and his goodness so that you can spend eternity with him, which was his original plan. But to be redeemed, that means you had to, a price had to be paid so that you could be ransomed and taken out of this delegated influence of darkness and put into the kingdom of God. You can't join the church. You have to be born into the church, right? So, so coming to church doesn't mean that you're a child of God. Any more than if you sit in your garage, it means you're an automobile. Or if you were to climb into your refrigerator, you're a piece of food. No, no, no. See how silly that seems? But people think, well, you know, I come to church. I'm a Christian. No. No, it's all, and it's not about joining our little club. So the church is a family, right? You must be born into it. But Jesus came, and he was the perfect sinless sacrifice you know if you stay around here very long we've talked a lot about all of the prophecies that he fulfilled but know this the bible is very clear that it says this that when he was crucified we were crucified with him what hung jesus on that cross my sin did right so Literally, he redeemed us. He paid the price with his blood, with his life, so that I could be taken out of the delegated influence of darkness and put into the kingdom of God. And that's what we're talking about today. So, the Bible, the Bible, in an aerial view, is a story about God pursuing man. But the thing is, it's also a covenant. So there's benefits to this covenant. There's, there's all these benefits that we have as believers because of the redemptive work of Jesus. So the first thing, you got to know that God's pursuing you today. And you don't have to clean yourself up to come to him. You come to him exactly as you are. I mean... Pastor Elisa, what she just did up here was from, the, from that, you know, the drama we had Friday night. She played Mary Magdalene. It was her account of Jesus. She didn't have to clean herself up. She couldn't. So we come to Jesus as we are, and then he makes us like he is. So it says in Psalm 139, verse 17, it says this. Oh, or how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Isn't it amazing to think that you are so special that God thinks about you a lot. How great is the sum of them. Verse 18, if I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And for time's sake, I'll stop at that. It says in Jeremiah chapter 29 in verse 11. Now this is a great scripture. This is a scripture that, man, when I was 18 years old, it was probably the first revelation that I knew that went off in me. And it changed my life forever. God says this, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Now, the word thoughts in the Hebrew language means plans and purposes. God is saying, I know the plans and the purposes that I purpose towards you. In other words, God has a plan for your life. Your life is not a divine experiment. God has ordered a path for you in this earth that is glorious. It says this, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. This word thoughts again, plans and purposes of peace, not evil. Well, now, wait a minute, pastor. You know, I've been told 
Sometimes God allows sickness and disease or allows loss in our life. You know, like sometimes he takes babies because he just needs another voice in the choir. And, and you know, but, and I don't understand why God took my baby, but, but he must have needed him and there must be a higher purpose. No, that's not Bible. The Bible clearly lays out why that, that kind of thing happens in the earth. Because there is a destroyer. There is evil in the earth. That's why Jesus came. Ultimately, one day, that evil will be removed. Right? As a matter of fact, God doesn't take anybody. Well, you know, God just took them. No, show me that in the Bible. The Bible says God receives them. And that baby that died prematurely is growing up in heaven. You know, and just, just safe and healthy. That loved one that might have passed, you know, my mom passed away a couple years ago. Man, she's no longer in pain. She's happy. She's vibrant. She, she's with God. You know, I tell people around here that the earth is kind of like an airport. There's arrivals all the time. We got a bunch of arrivals coming in the church, right? And, uh, and there's also departures. But Jesus took away the sting of spiritual death. And the Bible says you and I will never taste spiritual death. Oh, you'll never have to see the angel of hell or the angel of death. You'll never have to go there if you know God. When, we, when the Bible talks about a Christian dying, the word death is always the word separation. It's never ceasing to exist. Nobody ever ceases to exist, right? Because we're eternal. God made us eternal. So the minute a person, a Christian, passes from the earth, we just had a dear brother in our church. He went home to be with the Lord. Well, the minute he stepped out of his body, he was with God, healthy, vibrant, and God has a wonderful plan for him in eternity. So look at this. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. And it says this, to give you an expected end. What? Boy, in this day and age, you know, it's crazy. Anything can happen. Things can change. There's, there's viruses. There's wars. There's, there's dissension. There's all this stuff everywhere. But God says, I have an expected end for you. I love what that means in the Hebrew language. An expected end means the thing that you long for. In other words, God's plan for your life is that you walk out every dream and desire that he's placed in your heart. That's God's plan for you. Not evil, but peace. It goes on in John 15, verse 16. It says, Jesus saying, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Then it goes on, and I ordained you. But you need to know this. God chose you. Who did he choose? Well, another scripture says, God is the God that would have all men to be saved. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And everybody would like to tell you about a no-fault gospel. Well, you just never know what God's going to do. And, you know, if it's his will, it'll come to pass. But that's not Bible either. See, God... He, see, is God sovereign? This big sovereignty question. According to the word of God, yes, he is sovereign. According to the word of God, here's rule number one of sovereignty. Your will trumps his will. So every man, see Deuteronomy 30, 19. Every man has now been given a choice. Before Jesus, we didn't have a choice. All that was in front of us was death. We were locked into that. But now Jesus, he fulfilled what was said in Deuteronomy 30, 19. God says, listen, behold, I set before you life and death and blessing and cursing. And then in case you don't know how to answer this question, God says, choose life so that you and your children could live. Right? I love that about God. God goes on to say in John chapter 3, verse 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I want you to hold that word, everlasting life. It's eternal life. The word life that it's explaining is the word zoe. There's four Greek words for life, but every time it talks about this, it uses the word zoe, Z-O-E. It literally means, literally means the essence and quality of life that God has. Jesus, in other words, took your place so that you could have his life. It's the great exchange. And then it says in verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. It says, but that the world through him might be saved. Wow. See, the resurrection, what we're celebrating today, it completed God's plan to be able to dwell with man and so that man could know him. So man was sin, you know, sinful, separated from God, right? We know Romans 3.23, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? It's eternal life, zoe. And how does it come? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That life is in him. It's really amazing because the Bible says you and I, when we accept Christ, we are created in him. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God commended his own love towards us. That means he exhibited and he demonstrated his love towards us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, if God moved on your behalf while you were still lost, how much more will he move in your life as his own child? I'm telling you, be excited, Christian. God, God's fingerprints are all over your life. And I'm telling you, if you'll get your eyes on Jesus and get your eyes in his word, the light will come up and you'll see him. You'll see him. It says, wherefore, by one man, by Adam in the garden, sin entered into the world and death came into the world by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. But see, although sin came in because of Adam and Adam's sin, now Jesus, we call him the second Adam. He got everything back that Adam gave up. So now, why did he come? Not only because he loves you, not only because he wants you, he wants to intimately know you and walk with you. It says in Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Right? So this is, this is something Good people don't go to heaven. Bad people don't go to hell. It has nothing to do with that. Satan would like you to believe that, but it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with whether or not you receive what Jesus did for you. It says in verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. We were born into it. So also by one man's obedience, by Jesus' obedience, many will be made righteous. I love that. Matthew 20, verse 28 says this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The word ransom, it literally means an atonement. It means to release someone from slavery and captivity because a price was paid. Jesus paid the price. Oh, Christian, stop beating yourself up for sin. Right? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now talking about now that Jesus came out of the grave and paid for our sins. 
there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. I love that. Right? I am so glad that I don't ever have to allow my past failures to dictate my life. Because the shame and condemnation and guilt of sin will drag you back into it. And Jesus took care of all that. In other words, what are we talking about? There's something the Bible says over and over and over again. Behold, I make all things new. It never says I make all things new. It always says behold before it. Because the Holy Spirit is saying, you got to see this. I'm the God who brings dead things back to life, right? And I give to all men liberally. So if you need two, it's impossible for God to give you two. He'll give you three or more. It's because he's a God of more than enough. The book of James says, I never get down on you for the mess you've created. Aren't you glad? Have you ever made messes? I've had God say to me before, Tony, get over yourself. I don't care where you've been. I don't even care where you are. My question is, will you believe me and go from here with me? Because my mercy is greater than your disobedience. I am so glad that I chose him. Right? It says here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, at the end of this verse, it says, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. He was shown forth to the world. Why? That he might destroy, not break, so it could be rebuilt. Destroy. This Greek word means to annihilate, to undo. Man, I'll tell you what, there is nothing like God undoing what Satan has done. Has the enemy ever bound you in anything? To where you're just kind of going, I'd have no clue how to get out of anything. You don't have to know. You don't have to know how to get free. You have to know him to get free because he undoes everything. When did he get you free? 2,000 years ago. He undid and destroyed and annihilated all the works of the devil. Why did Jesus come? In Galatians chapter 3, it further enhances why he came. He says in verse 13 that Christ hath, past tense, when? On the cross, redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy 28 and you look at the curse of the law and you study that out, you realize the curse of the law was threefold. He redeemed us from spiritual death and gave us his very life. He re in the same way, he redeemed us from sickness and disease and pain. Matthew chapter 8 verse 17 says, Jesus himself bore our sickness and carried our pain. If you look at the curse of the law, the third thing was poverty and lack. Jesus, the New Testament says, was made poor on the cross so that we through his poverty might be made rich. What does the word rich mean? It means a full and overflowing supply. That's why in the book, in Psalm 23, it says, because the Lord's my shepherd, I won't lack. It's a picture of our life on the earth. It says that God anoints my head with oil and my cup is not full, it runs over. Why? Because I'm not here for me. That run over is for others. And the whole creation says that. You know, when you see an apple tree, is the apples for that tree? No. The fruit of that tree is for others. God wants you to bear all your fruit in your season. The fruit that is born in your life is for others to get free, which is what really turns you on as a child of God. The new birth, it's a rebirth of the human spirit. See, you are a spirit. You possess a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you live in a physical body. It gives you a legal right to be in the earth. That's why Jesus had to have a body. I love that. Your spirit operates through your soul. Right? 
Your soul operates through your body. Well, what happens when you got born again? Your spirit man became brand new. You got to see this. Man is not lost because of what he does. Man is lost because of what he is. And Jesus took care of all of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. This word new creature means an original mold. Do you know there's never been anybody that's like you? And there never will be anybody like you. It's amazing. It means a new species, one that's never existed before. Oh, you're human, but you're not only human. You're a child of God. Oh, you may be a citizen of the United States or another country, but you're also a citizen of heaven. Oh, you may live in the world system that is designed, the Bible says, to steal, kill, and destroy. But you live in the world system, in the kingdom of God, where there is no lack. Boy, I'll tell you, as you get to know that, you can use the authority. See, Jesus said when he came out of the grave, he said, listen, all authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth. And now, you go in my name. Whatever you bind... On this earth, it'll be backed up in heaven. Heaven will back you up. Whatever you loose, it'll be loosed. We have authority. Satan doesn't want you to know that. As a Christian, you can stand in the authority that has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what Jesus did. And you could use the name of Jesus. And the Bible says over and over again that God watches over his word to perform it. And if you'll say what he says, you'll have what you're saying. But the key is you got to say what he says. If he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, don't try to be strong in yourself. Walk around when you feel weak going, I'm strong in the Lord. Because he'll watch over his word and all of a sudden you'll be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man. It goes down, it says here, old things are passed away. When you get saved, Old things are passed away. Aren't you glad? Christians live with no past. Yeah, but pastor, I got saved when I was a little kid. Praise God, I did too. I made every mistake as a Christian. But guess what? On Calvary, every one of those sins were paid for. And although if I allow sinful behavior in my life, it affects my fellowship, it never changes my relationship. And God says in 1 John 1, 9, listen, if you confess your sinful or unrighteous behavior before me, I'm faithful and just and just. He has a legal right because of Jesus to forgive you for the sin and then cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say forgive you and then make you righteous again. No, nope, you're already righteous. He'll just cleanse the unrighteousness off of you. And guess what's left? Righteousness. That's not my idea. That's Bible. Isn't that amazing? I wonder what would happen to you and I if we walked around saying, Father, I thank you that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I thank you for making me righteous, even as you're righteous. See, why do we have a lot of behavior in the body of Christ that is not in line with the word of God? It's because we don't understand we're righteous. So we're trying to do the right thing in our own strength. And have you ever done that? Okay. I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to stop lying. I'm going to stop gossiping. You know, I am going to start eating right and losing weight. And I join a gym or I buy, you know how many pieces of gym equipment are in houses and they're great. Treadmills are great for hanging clothes on them and elliptical, you know, right? Do you know how you could get great deals on gym equipment? Unless a virus hits the country. But now we're kind of past that stage. But you get great gym equipment cheap, right? Pastor Torian knows. I mean, because it just, it just hangs clothes, right? Why is that? Because we're trying to do things in our own strength. But here's the cool thing in God. If you'll just draw on his strength. See, if you want to change your behavior, don't try to change your behavior. 
meditate and speak the word of God that he made you righteous because holiness flows out of righteousness. So if you get a revelation that you're righteous, guess what? It'll change your behavior. Because the Bible says whoever the son hath set free is going to be free eventually. No, it doesn't say that in John 8, 36, does it? It says whoever the son has set free is indeed free right now. So isn't it amazing? You could be sitting here today going, I got these things in my life. I got this addiction and this and that. There's no way, pastor, that's heresy. I am not free. Oh, no, no, no. That's just in your mind. You have this illusion that you're in bondage, but really you're free. And if you realize and get revelation in your heart, which the Holy Spirit's down there, he'll help you. As you get in the word, you all of a sudden one day you'll wake up and go, wait a minute. I'm free. Right? See, see, you got to realize it's not this, the game is not over until somebody sings. No, no, no. The game's over. And you already won. But there is an enemy in the earth. Did you notice in the Garden of Eden, Satan didn't come as this big T-Rex to try to intimidate Eve. Right? He came subtly as a serpent because he had to get her to give over. She, she had to choose to be deceived. Do you know the only one that could stop you according to the word of God in life is you? Isn't that, that's awesome news. Because if you, I don't think anybody wants, do you want to stop yourself and have a horrible life? And no, nobody does. So God, as you get into the word of God, you'll renew your thinking. And the word of God will take out those plants that were planted by the enemy and those lies. And all of a sudden, you realize, wait a minute, I am free. Have you ever walked in freedom from something? You kind of look back and go, that wasn't even me. I mean, I know I did that, but it was like it was not even me, and I can't even go back and touch that anymore. The reason why is it really wasn't you. According to Romans, it was literally you chose not to renew your mind with the word, and this flesh nature, this sin nature that's still in your body, sided with your mind and took your spirit captive. But you don't have to do that. You could be, you could walk in the freedom. In verse 21, it says, For he, talking about God the Father, now he's going to explain how this happened. For he, God the Father, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that amazing? This is the gospel message. And oh, that you would have ears to hear this morning. You know, if you're here and you've never heard these words, no doubt this is, this is really impacting you. But Christian, let these words impact you. There's not a greater miracle that's ever happened in your life than this. And I love Ephesians. If you have your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at a few verses here. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 is amazing. Ephesians 2, 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, this word rich means an inexhaustible supply. So it tells you about God. But God, who has an inexhaustible supply of mercy. And you guys know what mercy is, right? You're driving down Dodge. Man, you're, you're, you're in your new vehicle, and you're just having a great time, and you're going 85 miles an hour, and all of a sudden you see a Christmas tree kind of looks like a Christmas tree, but it's coming behind you really fast and you're hearing some noise and then you pull over and, and you're not thinking you want justice, right? Cause you know, it was 55 or 60, whatever, right? I always thought that was a negotiation point, kind of a jumping off point. Um, but you know, there's probably some officers that might debate that one, but what are you thinking? You're thinking, man, I don't want to get what I deserve right now. Have you ever had a police officer look at you and go, you know what? I'm just going to give you a warning. I'm going to let you go. He showed mercy. That's what this is talking about. God has an inexhaustible supply of mercy. 
Hey, have you ever messed up and you go to God, oh God, I'm sorry, and then an hour later you're messing up the same way again? Inexhaustible supply of mercy. Right? For his great love wherewith he loved us. In other words, God has now intervened in humankind, in mankind. And now there is an answer to every problem in Christ. Wow. See, it says, but God. But God is greater than any natural report that you'll ever get. Doctor says, yeah, you're diagnosed with this. Thank you. Appreciate that. And you leave and you go, but God. Right? You look at, you need this much money and this is what you have. And if you keep looking at that, it'll really mess with you. But if you start speaking the word that he's your supplier, and all of a sudden you'll hear, but God. But God will supply all of my need. Right? You get in a situation where fear starts to grip you. We're living in a society where fear is being generated a lot of times by the media, the world system. You know the whole world system has always been and always will be. It'll try to create fear to steal, kill, and destroy from you. But when you realize, wait, time out. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, see, a but God, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. Right? The pestilence won't come near my dwelling place. Though a thousand will fall at my side, ten thousand in my right hand, it won't come near me. Why? Because I say of the Lord, Psalm 91, 2. Right? He is my refuge. Takes, me, takes care of everything in small areas, right? But he also is my fortress. So he's big enough. That fortress is big enough to keep everything out. Why is all that? Because he is my God. And I've made a decision. In him, I will trust. That's how we live, guys. This verse reveals God's motive for providing salvation for us. He was motivated by love. Accepting salvation Accepting God's sacrifice, you are literally accepting God's love. Sometimes that's hard for people. You know, because you think, well, I don't deserve that. No, 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 it's not about you deserving it. The God of heaven has spoken. He wants you, so receive him. Verse 5 of Ephesians 2. Even when we were dead in sins... He's quickened us, look at this, he's made us alive, that's what that word quicken means, together with Christ, by grace are you saved. Well, what is grace? It is God doing for you what you could not do for yourself. It's everything Jesus did for you in his redemptive work. Look at this, he quickened us, he made us alive together with Christ and hath raised us up together and made us sit Together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is a positional truth in your life. Temporally right now, if you're a Christian, you're seated in this sanctuary. But positionally, the Bible says you have been made to sit with him in heavenly places. And you need to know, guess who sits in throne rooms? Only royalty. And you were made to sit You're sitting as royalty. You know, Jesus is the what? King of kings and Lord of lords. Guess who those other kings and lords are? Those are his kids. To operate in our authority, we got to know where we're seated. Living a victorious life is our utter dependency on him and not ourselves. I hope that's good news for you. Because if you've been trying to overcome stuff, give it up. Let him do it in your life. Verse 7. He did all this that in the ages to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ. Verse 8. For by grace are you saved. It's the Greek word sozo. For by grace are you saved. I grew up thinking in a major denomination that that word meant I would go to heaven. 
And it does mean that. But it doesn't only mean that. The word sozo means healing. For by grace are you healed. It means prosperity. For by grace you prosper. It means deliverance in every area of your life. For by grace I'm delivered in every area of my life. And this word is in what we call the Greek perfect tense. Who cares if you remember that? But remember this. Which means that something was done and it was completed in the past and it will continue to stay in place forever. It produces, it, it was done in the past, but it produces present results. It'll make you the head and not the tail. It'll restore relationships. It'll restore your marriage. It'll restore relationships with your kids. It'll open doors that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. It'll make a way where there is no way. For by grace are you saved, but here's the kicker. It's through faith. You must believe it. Everybody, the sovereignty gospel, man, no fault gospel. Listen, if God wants me to have it, I'll have it. That's not Bible. Right? I mean, I grew up in a denomination you'd end every prayer with, if it be your will. Lord, I'm sick and I really want to be healed. Will you please heal me if it's your will? He doesn't hear that because it's not prayed according to his will. The prayer of faith is you know his will before you pray. Because in 1 John chapter 5 it says, if you ask anything according to his will, well, what's his will? The word of God. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And if you know that he but hears you, you know that you have what you've asked him for. Why? Because the Bible says all the promises of God are yes are in Christ, yes, and in Christ, amen. Amen is not just some religious thing that we say at the end of a prayer. Amen means, means so be it unto me. Isn't that good news? Not a religion, but a relationship. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10 for we are his workmanship. This is the Greek word poema. We get our word poem from it. You could say it this way. If you want to really translate it in English perfectly, you could say we are God's masterpiece. Do you know you need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm God's masterpiece. What do we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, man, you know, my right eye is a, a millionth of an inch lower than my left eye. And, you know, I lost three... You know, right? I mean, you'll see these Hollywood actors and actresses that are beautiful. And the next time you see them in a movie, they look like a blowfish. They're 20 years old and they're getting surgical procedures done on themselves. Why is that? Because they don't see themselves as God sees them. You are God's masterpiece. And you might say, yeah, okay, I, I was, but I really messed that up. He makes all things new. It's amazing how God can work. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Notice it didn't say we were created in Christ by good works. No, 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 no. You couldn't be good enough to get this. It was given to you. It's a gift. And because we were born again, we're his masterpiece. We're created in Christ unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, your good works, my good works, cannot produce the new nature. The new nature that you're given produces the good works. Got to get that. See, everything in my life that's good flows out of him. All ministry, all life flows out of the overflow of my walk with him. So that's why he's my Lord. See, you think, well, wait a minute, I just need to live my life. Listen, you're a human being. You're not created to live your life. And to be honest with you, no one on this planet has ever lived their own life. 
You're either living your life unified and one with Jesus, the Bible says, or you are living your life unified with the deceiver. Why do people go to hell? Because that's who they're identified with. That's who they chose to be hooked up with. So you can choose to say, no, I don't want that. See, if you look at the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they don't lose their identity. They're the three that are one. They work together. See, man was created to be one. We're to be one with each other. We're to be one with him. God always, God the Father always comes up with the plan. He came up with the plan of redemption. Jesus said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And he carried out the plan. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and goes, okay, I'll do my job. I'll reveal the plan. It's the way it always works. So in Colossians, man, I've gone a little longer than I thought I would go. Imagine that. Let's forget Colossians. Let me finish with this. John 17, 3, God says this, and this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. God, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2, it says, I've put my spirit inside of you so that you can know the things that have been freely given to you by me. God came and was resurrected today. And he came and took your place so that you can know him. I love that. I love that. See, God, everything flows out of a vertical, vertical intimacy with God. Everything flows. Everything in your life flows. If, if this is not right then your horizontal life with others and what you do, it'll never work. Even for us as Christians and in the ministry, God said to the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation, listen, you guys better return back to your first love. I know your works, and, and they were that this church was just working, working, working in the ministry. But God says, listen, you got to turn back to your first love or I'm going to come quickly and remove the lampstand. That's the Holy Spirit. See, God doesn't desire in your life this outer court, horizontal ministry. What you do and this and that. He desires vertical, intimate relationship with you. This is what God, this is why Jesus came. He came so that you can know him intimately. He already knows you but he wants to know you intimately. 